the other thing I would do to, uh, depending on how you're set up, right? Uh, depending on your property, but if you're using subcontractors or you're using a handyman, he's not a hired maintenance person. Uh, what I would do is every once in a while, switch it up, use somebody different. Um, because you want to make sure a you're getting the service you should get and B you're getting the pricing you should get. And so I would, every once in a while have somebody else do something, whether it's, it might be just something small. Maybe you like your maintenance guy or your handyman or whoever you want to call him. And he does the majority of your work, but you've got a couple faucets that need to be fixed or a couple of little minor things. And you send a new guy out to do some of that stuff and just to test him out, see if he does a good job, see how his pricing is and all that kind of stuff. So I suggest doing that too. If you, if you, uh, you know, want to keep everybody honest, um, and make sure you're getting the best service. Yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of times if you get so dependent on one specific provider and then suddenly they get busier with a different client or their business changes, their life changes, and suddenly they that retire. person, they retire, uh, you know, suddenly that person is not available anymore and, and you're stuck mm -hmm. ground zero and you don't know who to call. Yep. That's a yep. tough place to be in as well. It is a common saying among real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management and simply lacking a good business plan. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to overcome the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating their rental properties as a successful investment business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches you're going through. It's all too easy to lose your money and your mind in this business, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can find success. It takes a solid business plan. It takes tested systems. It takes key team members, and that is what this show is all about. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody. This is John Stiles, real estate agent with Bridge Realty, and you are tuned in again to my show, Maximizing Your Property Value, and this show is dedicated specifically for apartment owners as we try to bring you value and maximize your property value. Again, I have Todd Dexheimer joining me. Uh, Todd. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, John, appreciate you having me on. Um, let's have some fun, man. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, so today we're going to talk about maximizing your property value by using professional contractors. So Is we there know, such a thing? <laughs> well, it, that can be the challenge, you know. Um, uh, getting somebody who is a professional in, in not only in incorporating as a business, yeah. but actually, you know, providing some good customer service and good quality product as well. Um, but the real challenge we can see, you know, as we try to minimize our expenses is we often try to look for the cheaper labor. You know, we might go on to Craigslist and see who's a handyman that can, can fix something in our building. Um, but, you know, the danger in that is just, things don't always go the way they should when you use some of that cheaper labor. 
Todd, you don't have any examples or stories to tell from uh, bad contractors or handymen, do you? Nope. Only good contractors ever have been hired by me. Right. Um, yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I've got, I mean, I've got tons of, we could probably spend six hours on that. Is that how much time we have? No. Okay. Well. One story to me. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, it's always, always been because of price. Uh, you're trying to hire the guy in the truck, uh, that doesn't, maybe doesn't even have a, a license, uh, who knows, or they don't, they don't really have a true company, right? It's just that guy in the truck with the hammer and the saw. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I got so many stories. I think one of the, one of the best ones. Um, man, I don't know what the best one. one. One of them that comes to my mind is just a contractor I hired to do a pretty big, substantial renovation. Uh, he had a crew, uh, but they just had no clue what they're doing. None of them uh, had a clue what they're doing. They're, you know, they, they were probably uh, grunts. But you know, I go into this uh, apartment building and they're they're renovating the whole thing, and they were doing the tile, and they're and that's when I figured that they had no clue what they're doing because they were doing the tile before a before they should be doing the tile. Uh, B they didn't put any uh, subflooring down, so they're just tiling right over. This was an old house, so it had the three quarter uh, inch boards, you know, and they've got gaps between them. And no matter what, whether you're putting just doesn't matter what kind of flooring you're putting in a carpet or anything, you're, you're going to put a subfloor on top of that. And with tile, you have to put a, a cement board or a, um, you have to pour a concrete floor. Uh, they did neither of them. They just laid it right on top of that. Um, and I didn't catch them until they're about three quarters of the way done. Actually, almost, almost all the way done. I came in, I'm like, what, what are you guys doing? You're laying right on top of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And uh, regardless, you know, they, they did it. I fired them, got them out of the property. And uh, I, I, st I decided, well, I'm gonna, the floor looks good, all right? It's functional, looks good. I'm going to let it ride. And I did, and I let it ride. And it lasted for about three years, uh, which I figured would be the case. And then it started popping. Uh, we had some maintenance that we, you know, we would put it back down and, but, you know, eventually it just had to be replaced. Um, so probably it was about three years, three to four years after we laid it that all, all the floors, and it was four kitchens and four bathrooms all had to be replaced. Um, and so it's just obviously a bad contractor. But hey, you know what was good, John? Their price was right. Yep. <laughs> so you got the right price on the first go round. Um, yeah. But then you had to pay for it a second time, right? Had to pay for it a second time and had to do it right the second time. So cost money getting in the flooring out and costed me uh, occupancy during that time. You know, tenant moved out each, each time when a tenant, we, we, we would keep it at least operating. Once it started going, uh, we would just take a, the tile, we'd glue it back down after they'd pop or crack or whatever. We'd get a replacement tile, we'd throw it in there and then. Uh, finally, after it got so bad and we knew that, geez, if we move another tenant there, it's just going to be constant. And plus, it doesn't look very good when it starts popping. Mm -hmm. um, when that happened, we said, well, all right, it's time to, time to redo it. And so now you got to retile it. So you've got a few weeks that you can't have a tenant in there because you don't want to be tiling while the tenant's trying to live in there, especially a brand new tenant. Right.
So, so yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, this is just one of many uh, stories and not to pick on you. I mean, we've all done it where we've tried to get the cheaper price. And even sometimes when you get a referral, I remember one time when I was managing properties for other people, I got a referral to an electrician and I just kind of based the whole hiring based on that referral. Turns out it was not a good referral and, and the electrician didn't know what he was doing and he was requiring money up front that I shouldn't have been giving him up front. And he was dragging on the process and he wasn't really getting any work done. Oh, I need some more materials. Oh, I ran into this problem. I need this. You know, it was just a terrible situation and, and we had to eventually let him go and we lost some money on that deal. Yeah. Um, just because for one, I was rushed to get the job, you know, the issue fixed. And for two, I was trying to get a very cheap price for my owner. You know, that was my job. I got to get this at a, an affordable price, but at what cost uh, did it go? You know, we ended up having to hire a professional electrician who knew what he was doing, who didn't require payment up front because that's how professional, you know, works. They get paid when their work is done. Um, so, you know, lots of stories, but you know, what I kind of wanted to get into beyond just the, the pain and the heartache of, of what we've all seen is some strategies and tactics for preventing this. So, uh, you know, I've kind of made a, a, a list of considerations uh, for making sure that the person that you're hiring is a professional. Um, but do you have any yourself uh, just off the top of your head that um, can be your first point of making sure that who you're hiring is, is, is a good person to go with? Well, th this goes in the, uh, against the uh, direction of your last story about referrals. Mm -hmm. So referrals are big, um, but obviously, as you pointed out, you have to have more than just a referral. So yeah, I'll let, I'll let you give the list. And if I have anything else, yeah, um, I'll try to add on or maybe stories about your list. Yeah, definitely. You know, I agree with you. Referrals are good. And, and I, I thought I had a good referral, but you got to go beyond that. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you can have multiple referrals that are referring you to the same person, I know you've mentioned that before. And, mm -hmm. and when I've heard you talk, um, you know, that can just really, you know, make sure that you, you have, are confident in that person that you're getting referred to. Yeah. You know, beyond that, I would say your next steps, once you find somebody to consider is having a hiring process. I mean, you, you're not necessarily hiring this person as an employee, although maybe that would be the case if you have your on-site maintenance staff. So this could work either for contractors or employees, but um, you know, you check, check the references, for example, you know, who have they worked for in the past? What kind of work are they confident in doing? Uh, what kind of work are they, you know, if it's a handyman, there might be some things that they've done, something that, that they need to learn still. Yeah. So you're going to need to understand their competence in those different areas. Um, or if it's a very specific trade, you know, an electrician, for example, uh, how long have they been an electrician? Are, are they, is this their first year on the job? Uh, first right, year out right. with their own company. Um, so definitely check references of, of who they worked for in the past. Um, you, you know, obviously you can also check your online reviews. 
you know, do they have a, a business page? Do they have a Google page where people have given positive, positive or negative reviews? Um, I think it's pretty easy to get negative reviews as well. So I, I don't take those 100% at face value, but do they only have negative reviews or is it, is it just like 10% or 1% of the what, overall reviews? And what was the review, especially if, you know, if they just have a two star and there's nothing about it, it's hard to take it too serious. But if it's a two star and it gives you a lot of explanation about the situation, uh, the other thing you can do is just kind of mention, Hey, I checked out your views. You got a two star rating. It's because of this, this, and this, you know, what happened there? Mm -hmm. If they get really defensive or like somebody you just don't want to work with after you listen to it, uh, you know, but, uh, hopefully they have a good, true, good explanation. And again, that the most of the rest of the ratings are at least decent. So you can always, you can always ask about, you got that two-star radio. What, what happened? What, what's yep. going on there? Yep. And very often with online reviews, whoever the service provider is, they have an opportunity to respond to that. Even on the Better Business Bureau, I believe, right. on Facebook, yep. on Google. Yep. So have they responded and does their response make sense? Right. Um, sometimes it might be just attacking the, the customer and, oh, this person, whatever, whatever, you know, so is that going to be somebody that's going to be pleasant to speak with and to work with? Um, and, and what are they, what type of jobs are they working on? So it's different than like if, if you've, you know, if you got, if you're remodeling a luxury, um, well, I mean, we're dealing with apartments, but if you're, if you're remodeling a luxury home and that's what that contractor does is luxury homes, um, that's different that's going to be different types of reviews and somebody who's very service-based and maintenance-based and, and, and dealing with, you know, maybe not the best um, type of people. They're dealing with a lot of C-class, even D-class type buildings. Um, they might have some bad reviews because of the type of clients they're working with. So you got to consider that too, is who are they, who are you actually working with? You know, like management companies, for instance, um, when we're not talking directly about management companies, but they oftentimes get bad reviews, especially on bad properties um, or properties that are like C-class because, you know, maybe the owner doesn't want to keep up with it. So they get bad review. And it's not necessarily just because they were bad companies because probably got bad, bad tenants. Yeah. So definitely, you know, reviews aren't the be all end all, but it's something you should at least look into. Yeah, for sure. Another thing that you definitely want to check is, is this, if it's a separate, you know, general contractor or a separate business, is their business registered to do business in your state? Mm -hmm. So uh, some, you know, a lot of people, it's easy to pick up being a handyman or being a contractor. Um, you just you buy a hammer and, and you get to work. <laughs> um, but you know, are you are you conducting yourself as a professional business, um, and and along with that, are you getting business insurance to cover that? I just wrote that down in case you didn't mention that. <laughs> yeah. Do they have? Are they insured? Are they licensed, bonded, insured? Um, you know, what kind of policy do they have too? And get named on their policy. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, if they drop the policy, you know, you can get rid of them but they should have their insurance. They should have like a, a $2 million general liability 
you know, um, that type of stuff. So, yep. <clears throat> and if it's more than just the one person that you're hiring, do they have workers compensation insurance? Yep. Because everybody that they bring onto your property is suddenly a liability to, to you unless, you know, unless the things are properly set up where the employer has mm -hmm. them covered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. So nothing like, uh, a story, uh, this wasn't at one of my properties, but, um, you know, somebody got hurt. Um, I suppose I shouldn't give too much detail about that one, but you know, somebody gets hurt at the property and they were hired by somebody who was hired who, you know, and I don't know if any of those people had their own business insurance or their own workers' compensation insurance, but what ended up happening, the person who got hurt, tried to sue the owner and the property manager for damages and lost work and, and medical bills and all this because the insurance wasn't set up correctly. So definitely want to avoid that. Yep. Um, so another thing I would like to point out to have in your, in your normal course of business is to have some expectations already, um, kind of written out that you can just provide to your contractors. You know, you can let them know, I have high expectations for people that are come to this property. This is a customer service oriented business where we are trying to take care of our tenants. And we expect the people that come work for us to have that same attitude. Um, things like be respectful of the residents, things like clean up after yourself, you know, don't just leave a mess in your work area. Um, you know, leave a note for residents if you are entering their unit when they're not present. And then you, you leave, leave a note that says that you were there for one and what was done. And if you are not finished with that, that you're planning to come back. Yeah. And as an owner, what I would do is just, just, um, print a card, you know, that card just says, Hey, whatever that card says, we were here for maintenance. Um, on your unit and then just leave a blank space and for the date and that's it. It just needs to be a simple card. Yep. And that way the, the maintenance guy can have a stack of cards that they carry around with them and they could just leave it on the dining room table. And all they have to do is write, you know, the date, 8, 28, 20, mm. 20, you know, whatever date it is. That's it. Yep. <clears throat> and one thing I, you know, not everybody likes this idea, but I recommend to ask for feedback on that same card. Um, so, you know, the risk is, well, then you're going to get lots of calls and you're going to get lots of feedback. Well, you know, maybe you, maybe you need the feedback. Yeah. It's kind of like a checks and balances for your worker because you can't yeah. be there to make sure they're doing things the way they should to make sure they're following the expectations that you have set. So then you can, talk to that contractor or that handyman to let them know the feedback that you did get. The other thing that I would require is I would require the, uh, the maintenance person to, to uh, keep a log and that log could be fairly simple, but then it's hard to get double charged for something. Um, especially if you're using third party management and uh, you've got a work order for uh, let's just say fixing the dishwasher in unit one. The maintenance guy goes in and fixes the dishwasher and unit one keeps a log of that. And all of a sudden you get charged uh, again 
a month later for that exact same thing, um, we can check the log and we can say, well, you just, you just fixed that. You know, what happened that you needed to really fix it again? Mm. You know, if there's no explanation, it just might be, you know, some, something going on there. So I think keeping a log can be important. Of course, anybody can manipulate that, but, um, you know, it, it's just another checks and balances thing. Definitely. That's so important for many, many reasons. I think and not, not just for that. Right. Yep. You know, when you go to sell the property, um, if you're just like, well, I spent a hundred thousand dollars on maintenance. Uh, well, what did you fix or what, what of this was maintenance and what of this was capital improvements? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't know. We just, we spent it and, and the property's good, <laughs> you know, yep. or yep. you could say, well, here's our detailed log where we went into unit 101 and we, and so-and-so was there for two hours and he fixed X, Y, Z. And, and then here's the uh, five-star review from our tenant for, you know, the work that he did. Yep. You know, that's going to create a lot of confidence in your potential buyer that they can see the detailed record that you have there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, anything in detail is just going to be better. Just overall, it's going to be better for the entire project. You're going to know where your expenses. It's so nice to know where your expenses are coming from. Mm-hmm. What's being done? What? Maybe you got faucets that are breaking all the time. If you're not keeping a true log of that, and you don't know how many faucets are breaking on a monthly basis, then you don't know that you're buying the wrong type of faucets. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're buying this faucet that just is having problems, and you can buy a different faucet that you don't have to repair for three years and this one has to get repaired every six months. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference there, a huge cost savings. So if we can, if we can figure out what we're actually repairing, that's going to be helpful as well. And that better faucet might cost one and a half times as much, but yeah. you're replacing it once every, we'll say five years instead of once every year. Yeah. And labor is expensive. Yep. Hey, I want to interrupt the show quick to tell you about an exciting opportunity to take your real estate investing career to the next level. I'm talking about the North Star Real Estate Conference that's coming up September 20th and 21st of 2019 in the Twin Cities. At this conference, we'll have both local and national speakers covering topics such as syndicating apartment deals, crowdfunding, getting started in commercial real estate, business mindset, and so much more. Aside from the amazing speakers, what makes this conference great is that the proceeds from the event are dedicated to charity. Now, for a limited time, if you enter my last name as a promo code at checkout, you can get $100 off your ticket for the weekend. Again, type in S-T-I-L-E-S for $100 off your ticket. Just follow the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you there. Now, let's get back to the show. So a couple other things I want to put on our list here is make sure when you're working with contractors that payments follow completed work, mm-hmm. you know, and this I think is a really big challenge, especially if you're a small operator and if you're working with a, a brand new relationship with this contractor, very often they want 50% down. Yep. And um, so I know you've had a lot of experience with that. What, what's your strategy for approaching that? Yeah, no, we not you're not going to get anything down especially well, you're not going to get any down for sure if it's just a labor only. Yeah. You didn't do any work. A lot of people doing labor only want a certain down payment. Uh for me it's like 
no, I'm not going to pay you. You haven't done any work. But same thing with materials. A lot of people want uh, down payment for materials. Now with that, I bend a little bit, but I, I don't, I never will pay them for materials. I'll pay the vendor for materials, but I'm not going to pay them. So if I got to order, you know, 50 windows, I'm not going to give them a check for $15,000. I'm going to give that check for $15,000 to the supplier, um, not to my installer. So that that's one way to try to avoid some of that is if you can pay through your supplier versus a down payment. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't believe in paying people for work they haven't done. I just, I think you're going to get yourself in trouble. I've gotten myself in trouble plenty of times by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, to have this type of expectation explained to the contractor up front, that could save everybody a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course the risk is as I alluded to in my previous story, um, you pay them up front and then the work doesn't get done or it doesn't get done to a satisfactory condition or the contractor disappears, you know, right. all these things can happen when you pay up front. Um, yep. Yep. So definitely something to. Really and it's, it usually does too, John. It's not that it, it could, it usually does happen. Okay, so another thing that I like to consider here is make sure that the expectation on the specific project or the scope of work is clear and detailed. So as as much as you can understand it, the issue ahead of time. Now, of course, this is gonna vary if you're doing a capital improvement project versus if you're just responding to a maintenance request. So, you know, if you're just responding to a maintenance request, you're not quite sure what exactly the solution is or what the objective of that visit is. Um, So those can vary, but as much as you can make those expectations clear so that um, you know what you're going to be paying for. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's kind of my short list of things to do uh, when you're hiring contractors. Uh, Any other things that you kind of put into practice or seen use that can be really effective to make sure you're hiring professionals? Yeah, I've got a few more. Uh, One big one when we're dealing with tenants is we should do background checks on whoever we're not your tenants. You should be doing background checks on the people that are working on your property Hmm. Um, and, and then their people. So like if I've got a contractor, I'm going to do a background check on the general contractor. I'm also going to do a background check on the contractor's employees or make sure that they at least have contract or a background check in place. Um, I won't pay for, I won't pay for that. I will make the contractor pay for that. So if they don't have background checks on their own employees, um, they're going to have to pay for it. I'm not, not going to hire them. Um, Cause I don't want, I can't have criminals in my property. If I get somebody that uh, raped somebody previously and they come to my property and they rape one of my tenants, well, guess what? I'm probably going to be in trouble for that because I'm hiring somebody who's got a history of doing that and they come into my property and then they hurt one of my tenants. And so you, and the same thing with that. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if you've got a criminal working on your property and crime happens on your property to one of your tenants, you're going to get, dragged into a lawsuit for that. So background checks are extremely important. I think that's uh, definitely something that's needed uh, on that. And uh, 
just don't hire just don't hire contractors that have either employees or themselves as as criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and and that the other thing I would do in within the contract, I would write that you know the contractor or the contractor's employees do not have criminal uh, background, and if at any time during this contract one of the employees does you know, have a criminal background, they no longer will be allowed onto the property until otherwise notified. And that way it gives you like, it's, Hey, it's right here in writing judge. If something did happen, it's right here in writing. I told them if their employees, you know, had anything happen, they, they weren't there. That employee wasn't allowed back onto the property. And uh, you know, that was the contractor's negligence. So that protects you a little bit. Uh, the other thing, I would say is uh, make sure you have a, a strong contract in place and that it's signed by both parties and that every, any change order, especially when we're dealing with a, like a, a, a renovation, any change order is actually in writing and signed. I've learned by experience that it needs to be in writing and signed and I, emails are great. Right. But uh, I just wouldn't trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, contracts, um, you know, most contractors, have their own contracts. Do you accept theirs or you have them sign yours? We may accept theirs um, depending on what they are. Uh, But no, we typically have them sign ours. We've got a contract, we've got an attorney and uh, we make sure they sign ours typically. Mm -hmm. It just protects you. You've got your own policies in place, just like the the background check thing I was talking about. Um, just like our down payments, what we want for down payments, uh, what we want for payment schedules, all that kind of stuff. It's in writing. We may reference their contract. We may reference their estimate. Uh, but within that, it'll say our contract supersedes all other contracts. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, we're, we're happy a lot of times to sign their contract, but our contract supersedes theirs. Uh, the last thing is, um, this is for maintenance people people that are working on your property. Make sure they're an employee of yours if they're doing employee work. So if they're consistently on your property, they're there working uh, on a very consistent basis. Uh, Of course, check out your employee laws of your state, but they're potentially considered an employee and you wanna make them an employee uh, so you don't get yourself into trouble. That can get really expensive, quite frankly. Anything is expensive when you have to pay it in arrears. Um, you know, so I'd rather pay an extra 5,000, 10,000, whatever a year in employee stuff than be caught five years from now and, uh, have the government tell me how much I owe. Yep. Anytime, anytime the government tells you how much you owe, you're probably getting the short end of the stick. Yep. So, yep. Definitely important to follow all those employee laws and do the withholding taxes and, you know, you're going to pay more for having your accountant and your um, tax preparer involved. But again, paying for it, like you just said, on the front end versus on the back end with penalties and fees and interest to the government or, you know, having to pay for something a second time uh, is just, you're better doing it the right way the first time. Well, and you know what, oftentimes you're like paying your, um, your uh, maintenance guy, your employee, you're not paying him employee as an employee. So in turn, he wants a little bit higher pay, 
right? Because I'm a subcontractor, I've got other fees. I got other things. So I, I need, uh, you know, $20 an hour when you could have hired them as an employee for $18 an hour, um, you know, or $17 an hour even. So, you know, you got to look at that and go, look, if you're an employee, this is what you are going to work for versus if you're a subcontractor, you're going to work for, for this. You, you might be better off making an employee. Um, oh, but I, when we were talking too about uh, paying people and being cheap, uh, I was going to mention that, you know, when you've got a maintenance person or even a contractor, you do have budgets, right? You do have thresholds. I'm not going to pay. I might, I might find the best maintenance guy in the world, but if he's, if he's wanting to charge me as an employee $65 an hour, it's just not going to work when I can find a very good, maybe not quite as great, but very good maintenance guy and I can hire him for $30 an hour. Now, obviously that's extreme, but the point being, there is some give and take. You're not always hiring the most expensive guy. You're trying to hire the guy with the most amount of value that can, that, that you can have. So, yep. And they have to fit into the type of property that you have. That's big too. If you have a C-class property and you're hiring a guy that came from an A-class property, there's a big difference. He might be a fantastic maintenance guy, but his standard of maintenance is going to be different than the other guy down the road that was going to come from the same type of property that you want and have. So there's a big difference there too. Yep. The customer service level hopefully is the same, but. <clears throat> oh, yeah, hopefully that's the same, but our, our standard of maintenance you know, when that, when this guy that is working at the A-class properties used to buying the best materials and used to, you know, just everything being perfect when you've got the C-class property where, not that you want to be a slumlord, but maybe our faucet doesn't need to be quite so sweet, you know. Yeah, you maybe get the gold faucet, you get the chrome one. Exactly, exactly. You get it, so. So. You know, and kind of, I think a good way to wrap this topic up is I don't think it's too early to start to put together your team of contractors mm -hmm. and handymen. You know, you may not need a roofer right now, but, you know, take some time to interview some roofers because eventually you're going to need one either for repair or replacement. And instead of rushing to figure out who's the cheapest because I, I wasn't preparing for this repair and... I don't have enough money set aside for it and I got to find the cheapest guy. Well, if you've already gone through a process of vetting people, you know who's reliable, who's reputable, and who's got, you know, a reasonable price for the quality of, of service that they're providing. So, The other thing I would do to, uh, depending on how you're set up, right, uh, depending on your property, but if you're using subcontractors or you're using a handyman, he's not a hired maintenance person, uh, what I would do is every once in a while, switch it up. Use somebody different um, because you want to make sure, A, you're getting the service you should get, and B, you're getting the pricing you should get. And so I would every once in a while have somebody else do something, whether it's, it might be just something small. Maybe you like your maintenance guy or your handyman or whoever you want to call him. And he does the majority of your work, but you've got a couple faucets that need to be 
fixed or a couple of little minor things and you send a new guy out to do some of that stuff and just to test him out, see if he does a good job, see how his pricing is and all that kind of stuff. So I suggest doing that too. If you, if you, uh, you know, want to keep everybody honest, um, and make sure you're getting the best service. Yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of times if you get so dependent on one specific provider and then suddenly they get busier with a different client or their business changes, their life changes, and suddenly they that retire. person, they retire, uh, you know, suddenly that person is not available anymore and, and you're stuck mm -hmm. ground zero and you don't know who to call. Yep. That's a yep. tough place to be in as well. Yeah. There's a song that goes like that. Who are you going to call? <laughs> well, thank you for lightening up the uh, show. <laughs> uh, Todd, if, if people would like more information about, um, you know, just the insight that you can provide into investing, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Um, yeah, I mean, they can obviously listen to my podcast as well, which you're a part of uh, too, John. It's called Pillars of Wealth Creation. Or they can just go onto my website. It's VentureDProperties.com. It's VentureDProperties.com. All right. Well, Todd, I appreciate you uh, joining and contributing to this topic. Um, for our listeners out there, you know, my goal in providing this is just to provide some education and content that can be valuable to you. Um, my goal as a real estate agent with Bridge Realty is to be helping my clients uh, when they're sell to maximize their sale, maximize their property value. And so I hope that this uh, little piece of information here can really be helpful for you with that. If you'd like more information about my real estate services, be sure to reach out. You can uh, reach me on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or you can call me directly. My uh, number is 612 5841345 and uh, I look forward to getting your call. Until next time, make it a great one. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.